1: Max Verstappen dominated once more in Austria, taking his fifth win at the Red Bull ring and his seventh of the
2: 2023 season. Another day of Red Bull domination and Max Verstappen gets the flag first once more his seventh win of the season. Max Verstappen wins the Austrian Grand Prix and claims the fastest lap on the last tour. Charles Leclerc will be on the podium once again this year in Formula One, but it's Red Bull celebrating at their home race a fifth win in a row for Verstappen. Leclerc P2 and Perez from 15th on the grid to third by the end of the Grand Prix. Classy, Max. Very, very classy. Well done, mate. Yeah that was an amazing race guys Car was on fire
1: Track limits was a big issue throughout the weekend Especially through turns 9 and 10 at the end of the lap
3: Track limits again Hamilton That's his third time
1: more than 1,200 possible infringements needed to be looked at by the FIA after the race, with 83 laps being deleted, the result of drivers running outside the white line at the edge of the racetrack. Five second penalty for Hamilton, track limits, that's happened then, very early, 17 laps into the race. Only two drivers, George Russell and Joe Yu, drove clean races without a single track limit infringement. The FIA has recommended the circuit put gravel traps up to the edge of the track through turns 9 and 10 in time for next year's race. The show is coming to you from the paddock and joining me, Tom Clarkson, are Diego Meyer from Fox Sports Mexico and Zilia Ruhl from Bild in Germany. And in no particular order... We're joined by guests Alex Albon, Adrian Newey, Andrea Stella, Otmar Safnauer and Alex Verz. We hope you enjoy the show. Max, your fifth win here at the Red Bull Ring. You've also topped every qualifying session. You won the sprint. Just sum up what's been a phenomenal weekend for you.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, it's been... um... Pretty incredible weekend, of course. Something I didn't expect, but um, yeah, with the, with the sprint uh, format, normally it's always a bit more chaotic to get on top of everything. But I think we we did everything well as a team, as well. Also today, I think with the with the strategy, with the pit stops, everything was smooth. And out there on the track, we yeah, we just had a very quick car, and I felt comfortable in the car, and we could do um, yeah everything we we wanted, like we planned it,
1: including fastest lap at the end. Just that how... wasn't planned. <laughs> How much of a risk was that?
3: To me, not. But uh, to the team, I think they were a little bit more nervous. But I mean, I saw the gap and I was like, we have to pit. I, w- I want to go for the, the fastest lap when you have the opportunity, you know.
1: And uh, that's what we uh, we did at the end. Does fastest lap mean more than just the one world championship point to you? Maybe. <laughs> so I think I some know. people will look at that and go, gosh, he's risking a lot for one point, given that he's already in the lead. Yeah, but that's, I mean... Uh,
3: From the outside, maybe it looks like a a big risk,
1: but when you're on the car, for me, it didn't feel like a risk at all. You were 24 seconds ahead of your nearest pursuer prior to that last pit stop. It seems your closest pursuers aren't as close as we thought they were two weeks ago in Canada. Exactly, but I loved all the articles about it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, some
3: weekends they work a bit better for you and some don't. And uh, for me, Montreal wasn't... That's fantastic in the race from our side, um, and here I think it, we did a really good job. And
1: then naturally the gap is a bit bigger. Thank you, Max. Checo, coming to you. Many congratulations. Uh, a very busy race from P15 on the grid. What does it mean to be back on the podium? Your first here at the Red Bull Ring.
4: Yeah, um, it's really nice to to get back to the podium, uh, especially at home. You know, uh, such a special weekend for the team. And uh, on a weekend that, uh, yeah, it uh, started all really bad, you know, with, uh, I don't want to use a bad word, but for the track limits, uh, I think everyone got hit by by it at some point. But anyway, that meant that we started P15 for the race today, and, and uh, yeah, we just had to, to fight our way through it. Uh, we had some great pace, some great battles out there. In the end, it's a, it's a good one, especially... Not being uh, close to 100% physically, uh, but with all the adrenaline going on, you you forget about everything. You had some great battles out there. Who did you enjoy racing most? Well, I think, uh, well, with Carlos and and Luis, both were my my biggest fights, so I think Carlos was uh, a bit more enjoyable. He came on the radio and reported that you were intimidating him. <laughs> I heard that. I haven't spoken to Carlos. I don't know what he, he means with it. You know, we don't <laughs> we don't see the face of the other <laughs> or the other driver. I don't know. I don't know what he really means with it. Did you feel that you were being particularly aggressive with him? Um, not really. I think we just had a, a proper fight. Checo, you seem very happy and relaxed. Can we say that Checo's back now? Yeah, certainly. I mean, without the, the issues we had on, on Fridays, we we had good, good pace since lap one. We managed to understand our issues we had in the previous races. So, yeah, I, I, I believe that we are back.
1: What an extraordinary performance by Max Verstappen-Diego.
0: Yeah, Tom, uh, I asked him in, in the TV pen uh, if there was any challenge at all. Uh, for him and he said just looking after the tires but it seemed like uh, the only challenge he had a weekend was Checo at the, on the first lap of the sprint which spiced things up a little bit I wasn't expecting Checo to be that aggressive after the the run he had <laughs> uh, right before the uh, qualifying for the sprint but uh that shows uh, his mentality and uh, I think that uh, ticked Max in some way. You saw what he did in turns three and four, which ran check out, uh, out of road, but uh, it was, yeah, probably the only challenge he faced uh, during the whole uh, weekend. He was very much in control, and yet, for the second time, uh, five wins in a row in his career.
1: Zylia, were you surprised by the dominance of Max this weekend? Because after Canada, when the gap was just nine seconds back to Alonso, I, for one, certainly thought that people were getting closer. Yet before he stopped for that fastest lap run at the end, he was 24 seconds ahead.
5: Um, To be honest, I was expecting it a bit because this whole season has just been like Red Bull on top and most of the time Max Verstappen on top. And I was already joking with a colleague when I was starting my online report. Do I put a picture of Max in it already? And... I didn't, but I should have. (laughs) So they are just so dominant. He's just so dominant. So, um, yeah, that's just the way it is this season, I think. Of
1: his 42 wins now in his Formula One career, five of them have come here at the Red Bull ring. I don't know what it is about this place, whether it's the Orange Grandstands or the fact that it's Red Bull's home, but there's something about this place that brings out the best in him.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's a a track, I don't know, it maybe suits his uh, driving style a little more. He he didn't have that many issues with the track limits, maybe at the beginning of uh, qualifying, but then it didn't seem to be a a problem and he could still comfortably keep the car on pole, leaving some margin for the the track limits where others maybe risk uh, a little more. But uh, you mentioned the the pit stop in the end for the fastest lap. I, I think it was you know touch and go i mean a little mix up uh, in that pit stop and the the win would have been uh, yeah not 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 a risk but he would have had to do something um, it shows i mean max maybe I, I said on the on my broadcast that he pitted himself for for the for the tires to get the fastest lap but uh, it shows just how much communication and synchrony there is between red bull and him
1: at the moment and it's not about one champion well it is about one championship point, yeah. but he doesn't need yeah. the points now, oh, no. he's too far ahead, it's about more than that, isn't it, it's about telling the world about his dominance
5: Yeah, I think so, and he's also just a racer at heart, so I think he doesn't even want to give away that one point, and he was so sure of himself himself probably, um, but also I found it quite interesting who he was stealing the point from, which was from Checo, <laughs> exactly <laughs> so maybe this shows a bit that there is actually some tension between them and, yeah oh, will be interesting to see how this is going on. It's interesting you say that
1: because I thought there was tension after the sprint when uh, on that opening lap, it did get pretty tasty between those two. Yet Max came into the press conference afterwards and said, it's just like a normal human. Human beings are like that. I think he said, you know, you have a disagreement, you talk about it, you move on. And that's what him and Checo had done. But... I did hear afterwards that Christian Horner got involved, and uh, I slightly felt that Checo had been slapped down a bit.
0: Probably a little bit. Uh, As I was uh, saying before, I wasn't expecting Checo to be so aggressive, uh, especially given the run he was in, but still he uh, he was able to
1: put him under a little pressure. He hasn't been on the podium since Miami, he's been completely lost. He then has all the track limits problems in qualifying. He looked I mean it's just been, I think we can call it a catalogue of errors really. So to see him fight back like he did from 15th on the grid I thought was hugely encouraging for him particularly as he was ill as well.
0: Yeah, what he said, uh, what he told me after the race basically was that this sort of gives him back the confidence that he had probably lost uh, uh, due to all the things that happened, many of his own making, but as you said there were circumstances to some of them, but in the end it was basically his mistakes uh, especially here in qualifying on Friday that put him out of contention for the victory or, or a one-two. But um, I think he's turned the page. He said at the beginning of the year that his main goal was being consistent, more consistent than he has ever been. Obviously, he hasn't been so far, and his new goal is keeping consistent for the rest of the season. But being consistent when you're measured against Max is not very easy because you had a little bit of an off weekend, and it's very noticeable. Everybody sees that. The Wolves are coming, you know. Everybody wants that seat. Uh, uh, rumors start building about him losing his seat. I think Christian was quite clear on putting a stop to that uh, after what happened on Friday. I think that was good on him, although he was hard on Checo when I talked to him, basically saying he should keep it on the in between the white lines. But, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a weekend to build up that confidence and uh, maybe his, his turning point for uh 2023 after you know the bad run he had following what had been his best start of the season where i guess he he built a dream he was very illusion but i think he's he's had to recalibrate his his goals every week and now seeing what happened in the past four races
1: Celia, what are his goals now for checo perez
5: well realistically the world championship I don't think he's going to make that, and I think he knows that now quite well. But yeah, for him it's yeah being consistent, and I think it was very good for him to come out of this kind of a valley, like a kind of a low he was in. Um, especially because this happens to lots of professional athletes that sometimes you're just in a phase where everything is running against you, and when something is running against you, it might get even worse. So. Um, When the mental side strikes in Um, so for him it's i think good that he came out of it especially not being completely at his top as he said that he was on medication he didn't really properly sleep well and doing that now is great for him and especially knowing that he can do that while he's not at 100 percent as he was saying so
1: i thought the gap was huge between red bull and everyone else this weekend would you agree or were there some mitigating circumstances
0: no, I think uh, I mean last year uh, Max put it on pole, but he he won the sprint, but then he lost uh, on Sunday because of the uh, degradation. I asked him on Thursday whether there were any lessons learned about that, and he said basically we know what we did wrong, and that's gonna be not there's not gonna be a repeat, and uh, that's exactly what what happened. You know, it was only one hour of practice, so it was a big challenge to put things together and not have you know lose the advantage they had. But uh, yeah, I think. Uh, Silverstone coming should be even better for Red Bull. Maybe Hungary will be another chance for their rivals.
1: Adrian, my goodness, it just keeps going. <laughs> Are you nervous that it's going to stop? Or just with the pace of the car, it doesn't look likely, does it?
6: No, of course. I mean, we have to be nervous. As you know, these things can go so wrong so quickly, as we almost saw yesterday with um, Max and Checo having their little tussle up to, the first, up to Turn 3. So you know we can never relax um we had good pace this weekend but there's still lots of other things that can trip you up and people keep developing so we've just got to keep pushing
1: talking of you being nervous on the pit wall right there's one lap of this grand prix to go and your lead driver comes on the radio and says let's go for fastest lap what was adrian newey thinking at that particular moment
6: Slight trepidation, because the reality is it didn't make any difference to our constructors' score. Cecho already had fastest luck and laughing and as far as we could see, nobody else would pit to try to beat it. So, it was, yeah, a little bit nervous, but that's Max. You can't take it away from him. He, he always wants to, to go for everything, and, you know, the boys have been doing fantastic pit stops today, so there's hopefully no not much, too much concern.
1: Adrian, you have won, maybe, is it 200 races now, or something extraordinary. In all of your success in Formula One, are you enjoying this bit
6: the most? Arsenal awesome at the end of the season, <laughs> I think it's always the... I think art. it's in the bag, Adrian. Well, no, you can. Uh, you really never can assume that. So, you know, obviously we've had a fabulous start, better than any any season I've been involved in before. But we've still got however many races to go, 11. It, it's. It, what's happened, this could reverse, so i say we've, you know, I've been there before, uh, 99, um, we were leading going into Silverstone, Michael had his accident, Mick was well ahead, and and then we kind of fell asleep a bit at McLaren, made silly mistakes, and and it went down to the wire, so you you have to be a little bit careful of relaxing, it's it's that old thing, it might look smooth on the outside, but the, the duck feet are paddling away underneath. Sure they are, Adrian,
1: well done today, good luck at Silverstone next weekend, thank you for stopping by. What an extraordinary man! You think of all the successful drivers in Formula One, but then you think of Adrian Newey, and what he's achieved, I think, is every bit as impressive as anything any driver has done.
0: Yes, I mean everybody speaks about the, that podium in Canada, and I mean he just he's been there for thirty years, non-stop winning in, in Formula One. It's amazing that in a sport where technology is changing all the time he he's still on top of it and he keeps building the fastest cars ever you know so yeah uh, big admiration for for what he does uh, i mean you listen to him and the way he speaks he, he makes <laughs> everything look very simple he's very down to earth if anyone hasn't read his book it they should <laughs> it's a great great book it shows uh, a lot about his person and uh, yeah, it gets a bit technical, inevitably, because of who he is. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a guy who's, who's going to go down in the history books of Formula One and as a phenomenon.
1: He got close to going to Ferrari on a number of occasions. He said that, but could you see him going anywhere else now?
5: It doesn't look like it. And also, uh, he feels still so so passionate about this, just the situation. There was um, this team in the background that wanted him to leave out of this interview because I think they have to catch a flight. And he just couldn't really stop talking because, and I think there you can see that even after all these years, um, he's still burning for that. And I think Red Bull is the perfect, perfect home for him.
2: Hamilton's wide to give Norris the chance. Norris will have the velocity now with the rear wing open with the DRS. Hamilton and Norris have battled at this track before, and he's just sailing on by. Lando Norris takes the place, takes fourth place. Not only did he get the pass done, he swept across the front of Hamilton. see. Don't even think about it. That is a McLaren passing a Mercedes on Merit. And if you consider where McLaren started the year, hugely encouraging the team based in Woking in the UK. Lando, driver uh, of the day as well.
7: Oh no, really? Oh, that's cute. It's because there's so many Papaya fans here. Thank
6: everyone who voted me driver of the day.
1: Now, here is a man I've been really hoping that we'd bump into this weekend. Team principal of McLaren, Andrea Stella. Those upgrades, they seem to have made a huge impression. Just tell us about it.
8: Right, so I think upgrades have helped. You know, we see it in the lap time, we see in the data we measure. At the same time, I'm a little prudent because Austria is a track where uh, uh, McLaren kind of uh, performed well. Is a special track for Lando. Uh, I don't think these two elements would have been enough to be there and compete with Mercedes and Aston Martin, so definitely the upgrades helped. We will know more uh, in Silverstone and the following races. At the same time, in the, follow- in the races to come, we also have some further upgrades. So we hope to confirm what we saw today in Austria. What were you most pleased about in terms of car performance? If anything, I would say the performance in the race. Because in qualifying, we have proven already with the old package that we can put together a single good lap. But nowhere near we could put together consistency in, in consecutive laps. So today, even though kind of we needed to rely on the harder compounds, so we are not there yet, but I think there was an improvement in this respect. So that's the main take from me.
1: And the way that Lando was able to hold on to Carlos Sainz... You know, Carlos came past him pretty quickly and then he was just there, lap after lap.
8: Here, we know that the DRS effect helps to hook on the car ahead if you have, uh, even if you are a couple of tenths lower slower or so. And in the end, uh, Carlos was quicker. He opened up the DRS gap and then he he went away. But, you know, thinking where we were just at the previous race, uh, we take it, you know, even if we know that they will go away. But if they go away at this pace, it's a good starting point. Hopefully, in the future, we will uh, keep our hook there.
1: Keep the hook there. Andre. thank you very much. See you at Silverstone next weekend. But we're going to bounce from one team principal to another. Now, Otmar, we've just been chatting to Andre Stella, actually, Uh team principal of McLaren. Um, How do you see the battle between you and them? So Saturday was better than Sunday. I think we scored a couple of points on each day. Beat one of the McLarens, not the other uh lando looked uh quite quick hopefully it's track specific but we we'll, we've got an upgrade coming at uh silverstone so let's see what we can do in the next one all right otmar, i can see you flying off thank you very much so diego just give us a quick resume of what we've just heard from stella and otmar safnell
0: yeah no i think uh it's very good to see McLaren out there. Uh, obviously, was what, what Andrea was saying is <laughs> very true. Here is where Lando scored his first uh, podium. He got another one uh, uh, after that uh, at this track. So it suits him. But still, it, it shows that it's going in the right direction, at least. Uh, on the other hand... Uh, Oscar was a a bit of a miserable race uh, fighting at the back but uh, uh, once he has the upgrades uh, next weekend at Silverstone it should be better yeah but uh, as Andrea says uh, and as many others uh, also at Ferrari they're being very cautious about saying well this is definitely uh, pointing us in the right direction it uh, the results show how much the upgrades have improved the car yeah I think the The next few batch of races with uh, different characteristics, the very quick Silverstone then very slow uh, Hungary ring, will show more about who has done the job with the upgrades.
1: Silvia, you know how we all become body language experts, don't we? And, uh, you know, you look at drivers on the podium, who's happy, who's not. And just, I felt Andrea Stella there, was very happy being circumspect of course prudent to use his word but i definitely felt a release of pressure
5: yeah definitely he um i mean our listeners uh, did not see him just now um but he was smiling and seemed relieved happy um easy
1: and lando norris i mean what is it about this place i mean stella touched on it but (laughs) I always think oh it's going to be the home track of a driver though whether you know it's going to bring out that half a second a lap that Nigel Mansell used to talk about at Silverstone but for Norris it does seem to be here at the Red Bull Ring.
5: Maybe it was the papaya as he was saying on the team radio in the end. <laughs> so maybe it feels like a bit a bit like home uh, with all of these it's true. Uh, there people. There is more in papaya orange. here
1: <laughs> than at Silverstone, isn't it? It's so true. So true. Now Ziliat just hold that thought because we're now joined by Alex Verts and a couple of things I wanted to ask him, because you are, of course, tell me if I'm wrong, the man who designed the Red Bull ring back in the day when it was called something else, aren't you?
9: No, it wasn't uh, me directly. It was uh, my father's company, Destin Training. We owned the circuit. We were the operator of the circuit, the promoter of the track under the Bernie days, and then sold the circuit We we had this company 50-50 with the Austrian government and sold it to TD Mateschitz. So in the initial layout, uh, I had the suggestion to actually turn off before the forest because that was noise problems. And uh, turn three is to the meter designed that someone who used to work on the uh, former uh, Österreichring who permanently complains. So there's to the meter, he has no more right to complain because he was basically one of the only ones uh, and he worked here. So maybe make your own uh, mind up of this message.
1: <laughs> well, tell me, how significant is
9: the deal to stay at this racetrack until 2030? Uh, for us, for Austria, we are extremely excited um, because A, we are a uh, part of tradition of Formula One. They always had Austrians. You will never get rid of us and with having... a uh, don't think anyone <laughs> wants to get rid of you, Thank Virzi. you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you looked a bit scary today, Tom, but um, I know we are super excited. It's great for Austria. It
1: is great for Austria. Now, with your track design head-on, can I talk to you about track
9: limits? Yes, All you right. can. You're not the first one, actually. Well, no, so,
1: but but Virtsi, right, you now have a seven-year deal with this track, so you can make changes knowing that the race is going to be here for a while. What is the solution when drivers are getting time penalties because of track limits? What
9: can we do? I'm not native English speaking, but I think I will get this one right. You said I can. I would say I could if I have a contract to do so (laughs) as track Ah, designer.
1: (laughs) So if you're listening, someone at Red Bull.
9: (laughs) No, I spoke actually with Dr. Marco and uh, we spoke also on Austrian live TV. Uh, and um, I think no, now communication with FIM because we have to understand it's also a MotoGP circuit, and we have to do it right also for the motorbike riders, and that's sometimes not so easy. You can make it fit for both. I tell you, you can. Um, we just have to to be honest to ourselves in the industry that uh, God bless him, but Charlie Whiting always wanted standard curbs all around the world. Standard curbs. We we've we drive, been crying when in in Brazil he took away the original Brazil kerbs. They had so much character and the kerb should actually be designed for each corner. Like here Austria, the last corner on 2D looks very similar to the last corner in Bahrain. No one wants to go on the kerb in Bahrain because it's slightly different in 3D, it's a slightly different height, has a slightly different feel uh, and it's also different the way your tyres are working uh, on this circuit. So, we cannot have standard cups we need to specify them corner by corner uh, and on all of this uh, we are working as a company but also i want to work now more openly to bring solutions i definitely would like that we're not discussing track limits on screens and here in interviews and what i promote same as most of my colleagues is if it has if you have an instant visual penalty going through grass, going through gravel, getting the car sideways. You know you lose time. It's much easier for the spectators at home. Me as a commentator, I will scream up, but I'm not screaming up uh, when uh, he's going one millimeter past the white line and we have electronic power reduction system, or these gimmicks, which perhaps some people want. No, it needs to be instant, natural and easy, understandable, because uh, this, this makes the sport much more authentic and you can feel with the driver, with the hero and zero moments.
0: It sounds very easy, keep it in the between the white lines, but why is it that here is such a big topic, especially on that turn? Because I have a hard time every year explaining to the fans why is it that it's always a problem, especially in those last two corners.
9: We have also a culture change of the race director. Michael Massey said uh, you can use the back of the kerb and not the white line. Uh, Neil's saying it's the white line. We have to full respect the authority and uh, the decision making of the FIA, and he's representing the FIA as the race director. Uh, and um, we have to back him with that, if you like it or not. You know, it's his job. It's his role. So this is this is uh, also a key statement I want to give. Perhaps together uh, the whole industry we can sit down outside the media. So then we would switch your microphone off. Is could we rethink? Could we think forward to be a little bit more user-friendly for the end user at home? The last two corners here, white lines, uh, and I do sympathize with my colleagues. It's very hard to see. In, of course, they don't crash walls in Monaco, but the wall is one meter 15 high, so it's much easier to see. And they can drive to the millimeter there and sometimes kiss the wall. Yeah. With the white line, it's it, it, you don't know, and you don't feel it. So if you give them the curb as reference, they have no excuse they would feel it.
1: Is it relevant that Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, Fernando Alonso, they didn't have any track limit infringements? I'm not going to say that they're better drivers than anyone else, but it is
9: possible to do it. Of course it's possible to do it. In the wet, they are not touching the white lines because they know it's more slippery. But I tell you... Um, they're the best drivers in the world. They will know how to stay within white lines. But if you are pursuing the last hundreds of a second and you know visually if someone is already going sideways into the corner, if you want to see this, you give them a track limit which you can feel and not only have to visually see because then you get it wrong by five millimeter. Is five millimeter on a curb it has big consequences, but the driver will learn it and he, you're just more comfortable to go to this limit than just to the white line limit. It's hard to explain. But I guarantee you, they, they know what they are doing. They are the best drivers. They can stay within white lines, but it will look much more spectacular. They will exceed the limits in a different way. I, 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 I'm annoyed with myself that I don't find the right way to explain that. but perhaps you need to sit in the car um, and go against the best people in the world to know that, of course, they could stay between the white lines, but we will see different type of action of slide and uh, authenticity if we can crack this puzzle.
1: All right. Bertie, thank you very much for your time. Really interesting as ever. Zillia, does this track limits thing worry you as much as other people?
5: Uh, yeah, I uh, found it quite annoying during the race because the track limits, like the, the deleted laps, they came uh, so quickly that you couldn't even like really realise what was happening. And even for the black and white flags, it was going so quickly. It was... Yeah, just distracting. I think a bit from the race, racing, which is which is sad. So, um, and also like every now and then in normal races, you have someone um, getting a penalty for that. But this is just um, more rule book than actual sports, I think, in my eyes.
1: What do you think of Vercy's solution about? curbs and also do you agree with me diego that i just slightly feel okay we've got a grand prix this weekend make it fit for formula one and then when you have moto gp here make it fit for moto gp and if you're not happy to make the changes don't have both
0: yeah i think actually moto gp changes the last corner if you see there's some like paint that was there for the moto gp race every year it's a narrower track on the last turn for moto gp so if they change it for MotoGP, so why not change it for Formula One? I don't know. I think uh, Alex is much better placed than us to to say anything on it. I guess there was some thought of making the white line wider for the weekend. I heard there were some discussions about doing that, but the rain and other factors maybe brought that to a to an end. I don't think that would have probably made much of a difference I guess some drivers said I don't remember who but that they needed to feel that they were over the or riding the the white line that the texture of the white line maybe make them feel that they were yeah, actually that was riding Carlos it's
1: like when you're on the motorway uh, on next to the hard shoulder you get a vibration through exactly. the wheel that's what Carlos was suggesting now look I mentioned Carlos we haven't yet talked about Ferrari upgrades Charles Leclerc qualifying second, Carlos Sainz finishing third in the sprint and then second and fourth in the Grand Prix today. I felt a big step forward for that team.
0: Yeah, I think it it was a very good step. Another one because I think uh, their race pace in in Canada was was, was genuine and was really good. It it was basically a, a race of recovery after a poor qualifying like Checo, but Checo couldn't match uh, the recovery that, that the Ferraris did in Canada. So here they build on that. It's good, but I think there's some frustration on one side of the garage here because I, I think that yet again, like in Canada, like a year ago here, Carlos is being served second service. Like, okay, he understand his role at the beginning of the race. He qualified behind, behind Charles, so he had to somewhat drive to what the team wanted in that first stint. But yet again, he had more pace. I think he showed it. But uh, so he's they, got to qualify better. Then. Exactly.
1: Exactly. That's the, the lesson for Carlos Sainz, isn't it? Now, Zilia, what did you make in the race of Carlos coming on the radio and saying he's intimidating
2: me? The difficult task is set again for Carlos Sainz,
6: who will hold
2: that inside line. Oh, that close to banging wheels! And he says he's going to fight him all the time here. But it'll be better traction now for Perez. It'll be the inside line and it will be DRS for Sainz, who will try and fight back for the last step on the podium. He's got the DRS, he's got the place back. Will they give each other room? Brilliant battling from these two. It's tight once again, applying the power. They're wheel to wheel, they're side by side. Who gives an inch here as we go into the infield? Sainz stays ahead. uh, And this battle is done. Perez no, 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 it's not because Perez goes deep into the corner and he's just got it now. I thought he was sailing off by to the gravel, but that was a great lap-by-lap lap scrap resolved in Perez's favour. He's on the podium. Just have a look at that. He was intimidating me a lot.
5: Yeah, that was definitely a funny moment. But there were lots of uh, funny team radios actually during this race. And that was uh, one of those. Yeah, I mean, if you have a red bull there, uh, it's obviously intimidating. I can imagine that. But uh, I think Carlos did a great job in in defending. So it was some nice racing we saw there. So I think he did well. And I mean, we all know that the red bull is quite good. (laughs) Do you
1: think Checo was particularly aggressive to Carlos in in his attack?
5: I wouldn't say so. Not that I really noticed it. During the race, to be honest. Did, did you think? Um,
1: I... No, I didn't at all. Okay. Uh, and actually, we, <laughs> we, we put it to uh, Chaco in, in the post-race press conference and he laughed because he was like, you know, I think the, his, his interpretation was, that's racing. Is that how you saw it, Diego? Yeah, I think
0: uh, Carlos was very smart in the way he played the DRS game here, which is uh, unique uh, to this track because of three consecutive DRS zones. So the one, the detection point uh, under braking for turn three, Carlos was very smart to let Checo go in front of him so that he would have the DRS afterwards, but then smart enough to release the brakes early enough after that to see, still be ahead of him uh, on the run down to turn four. I think he he played... You know, every possible game, but the uh, Czechos speed was just uh,
1: too much for, for Ferrari. I and loved the way sights. you might be able to hear in the background, <laughs> Red Bull are now running towards us. Red Bull drink being sprayed. Of course, that's their um, post-race celebrations. Win number nine of this incredible season for them. Do you know that Max Verstappen would be leading the Constructors' Championship by 51 <laughs> points if he was a one car team? Yeah. It's extraordinary, I, isn't it? And but it,
0: it's impressive also for Red Bull. You know, it's, uh, you say, nine consecutive wins, but it's uh, 10 counting to the end of last year. So they're just one away from equaling
1: the uh, 11 of McLaren in uh, 1988. Exactly, that's in one calendar year, so I'm still calling it nine. Okay.
6: I've <laughs> <laughs> got to wait two Cats. races, two races
1: to do that. But but I just back to Carlos, I thought, I love the way he was playing uh, with Checo. In the way that, in a way, Max was as well when he was battling with Charles Leclerc as well, Get, you know, getting off the gas just so that he still had the DRS down to turn for it, just... They're just guys who really understand. I mean, they've all been racing since they were the age of four, but it just proved that they really understand the game of racing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing that I wanted to point out about Carlos, which was uh, something that um, you know caught my attention, was uh, his SQ1. You know, when he had this brake-by-wire problem and he suddenly had just one lap to go and be able to go to through SQ2 in one lap, and he not only advanced to SQ2, but he said the fastest lap of the session. That's where you see the talent of a driver. You know, when you have to do it, you have to do it. And he did it in such a way that that also helped him uh, get that uh, third place in the sprint.
1: Is this a sort of Carlos track in the way that it's a Lando track? Because he seems to have been apart from that one lap in qualifying where Charles Leclerc beat him. He's had the edge over Charles this weekend, I feel.
0: Yeah, could be could be and and getting back to that uh, of carlos i think uh, speaking to him after after the race you could sense a bit of frustration you know that uh, you mentioned yeah that's what he has to do he has to qualify in front of uh, charles which is one of the best qualifiers in formula one so it's a big challenge but uh, in the races he's uh, showing great pace he's adapting very well to a car that probably not to the extent of last year's cars, but, but he still had to adapt somehow to be able to be as quick as Charles um, with this SF23. He's managing to do so. He's proving to be a very adaptable driver in that way, but he's got, as uh, you said, to, to qualify better if he is to be the primary driver, let's say, for Ferrari in any event.
1: Now, tyre day has been an issue with this team for the last couple of years, really. And there was one significant radio conversation in the race today when Charles was talking to his race engineer about the possibility of making a three-stop race. And, and Charles said, no, effectively. And that was significant for me because that proves that the car is, with these upgrades, looking after the tyres better. It's not getting the degradation that I think earlier in the season he would have, might have needed a three-stop race here, but he doesn't need it now. So there is genuine progress in that respect.
5: Yeah, that's, um, I'm not really like tire degradation expert to be honest, (laughs) 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 for for, like build, it's more about the people behind it, Uh, but but coming to that, so there is something uh, like more human I observed in this whole conversation, which I thought was um, quite visible that like the communication at Ferrari um, on the team radio seems to have become a bit more direct. Uh, like it, 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 I think it works better, maybe just like the tire gr- deck works a bit better. So I felt like the communication was, of course he just said no, which was quite harsh in a way, but it's, um, it's a straight forward communication and it all worked out well. So I think that's also positive on the Ferrari side.
1: And while we're talking about the two Ferrari drivers then, just from a human point of view, um, how do you see their relationship?
5: Not problematic or something. I mean, I think they probably don't really hang around uh, as friends too much, but I don't see any, like, open conflict or something we spoke about with Checo and Max, that there is, like, really something that's um, already has exploded in the past and last season. Uh, but, yeah, I don't see it as problematic or something, but they, sh- they share a feeling which is frustration that comes off. I'm,
1: well, okay, I'm going to move that question on and say what about Charles Leclerc's relationship with Ferrari? He let slip this weekend that his contract negotiations are, are just starting up. How committed is he, do you think, to Ferrari long term?
5: I think the connection um, between Charles and Ferrari is, is, is deep. Um, and I think he um, gets along very well with the team principal, of course, who he, he knows for uh, quite a long time. Um, so I think he's dedicated, but um, also speaking about like uh, body language and everything. Um, since the start of the season, there has been lots of frustration you could really see and you can see that it's um, with so many things that went wrong last year and this year and you could just see body language and facial expressions that there is frustration I think that's that must be hard to be honest and I think that's has been growing during the last um, couple of weeks so I, I feel like there is sometimes this feeling of him of why is it not working the way I would like it to work and I think this is yeah that's something that's been building maybe if it's the well, right I, way to say and
1: that and let's not forget that Max and Charles have been racing each other since they were young kids yes. they came <laughs> through the junior formulas just together so for him to for him to be seeing Max having all this success when he must think in himself that he'd be capable of that level of success if he was in that kind of car I guess it's just frustrating on every level for him
5: and it's so relatable because there was just so much bad luck from all directions Alex Albon, friend
1: of the show. We haven't had you on for a while, Alex. I'm still on a high after Canada. Are you? No, no. Uh, uh, Red Bull rings hit us in the face.
7: It was okay. It was a good weekend for us. We were... I think our worst position a whole weekend was P13 in the sprint race. And even then we were running P7 for most of that. So uh, it's a shame to finish just outside the points today. Um, I don't think there was much more we could have done. I do think last yesterday last race let's say uh, the sprint race we should have been in the points we were running p7 that that race so uh... huh. yeah strategy let you down there
1: didn't it <laughs> can
4: we say that well
1: um we could have done a better better job yeah yeah what about the pace of the car this weekend clear it was obviously great in canada were you pleased with how it was here I was pleased. A little
7: bit concerned about Lando's pace. Um, clearly they've done a great job. They're always good around here. Lando's also very good around here, but um, you know what it is. It basically, I say it every single time, but you've got, you know, Aston Martin, Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari. So that's eight cars, as long as they don't DNF, which nowadays no one's DNFing. So you've got two positions available, every race normally. Obviously the Alpines who are always good, and they're always the ones you normally expect to be the other two positions. We were the next one after that, um, but it's tough. It's tough. It's, it feels like the midfield battle. You can see it, but the, the, there are not many points being scored in, the, in that midfield battle. We're on seven, I think, and we are, you know, right there with the others. So, so it's um, it's tough.
0: I think it's uh, easy to forget, Alex, where Williams was a few months ago. Yeah. Suddenly, Canada is the is the new benchmark.
7: Exactly. You know, we have to be realistic. Even last week, it wasn't a normal race. And um, if we could, we would have definitely stayed out and held up everyone, and, and you know, go for track position. But around this circuit, you, I mean, Lance showed it to you today against me. If you're quicker, you just you just overtake. Um, it's a it's a hard track here because long straights, three DRS zones, and then like example turn three. If you defend it too much, you'll get done into turn four. So so you can't be overly aggressive into turn three on defense. Else, they will get the switchback on you. Likewise. Yeah, you still got to cover turn three because someone can still jump on
1: the inside. So it's it's a hard one to defend around. Well, Alex, final one from us. British Grand Prix next weekend. I'm sure you're looking forward to it. But from a performance point of view, what can we expect? Yes, it's a home race. Is it? Is it how far are you from from Silverstone? Well, I have to stay in Milton Keynes. I'm sure. Sh- no. Your neck of the woods, I believe. Um, I don't want to
7: reveal where I live, but it, but it's um, very close. Yes. Um, I mean, Silverstone. It's going to be an amazing race. Marketing is flat out. I think we're um, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, doing marketing over in London, over in Banbury, all over the place. So, in, in some sense, I enjoy it. In other sense, it's kind of a little bit dreadful. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but not for the, you know, it's an amazing circuit, amazing with the fans. Great to see you. Tough luck this weekend and good luck at Silverstone, all right? <laughs> Guys, two teams that underperformed this weekend Mercedes and Aston Martin. Let's start with Aston Martin. Were you surprised that they weren't more competitive here?
0: Yeah uh, I think I was although I asked uh, Fernando if uh, they were expecting this track not to suit the car probably as the ones before he said to some extent but they still I guess have to find some answers to why they were not so much in the conversation for the podium as they've been in previous races. Um, maybe at some races the conditions played and Alonso did his bid and put the car a little bit ahead of where it should be. I guess that has been the case at some races this year. And the thing is, Aston Martin now has a very high bar, you know, after all these podiums. Every time Aston Martin is not in contention for a podium it's uh, such a disappointing weekend. But then you ask the team and they remind you where they were. Uh, At the end of last year, and then suddenly it looks great. You know, you look. I mean, behind Red Bull, some tracks are going to suit some teams and not suit some others. Uh, I think Aston Martin, since Miami hasn't been uh, hasn't been as assertive uh, with uh, what they put on the track. I guess Miami only after the last practice session they decided which downforce levels they were going to run for the rest of the weekend, and and you see that maybe. I don't know if it's a correlation or, or something that's not really making them be on, a, on the right baseline for the start of the weekend, and uh, at least not at every track.
1: With Alonso, I don't think they helped themselves in this race because he had the hard tire on at the start of the Grand Prix and they pitted him during the virtual safety car period while the Mar- marshals were retrieving Nico Hülkenberg's car. Why? Why would you do that? That's my question. I think he would have finished higher up than the sixth, certainly one place higher.
0: Yeah, probably, probably, and and also the other thing uh, about this weekend with Aston Martin was uh, the sprint and yeah. that uh, sort of battle that was uh, unfolding. That uh, probably Lance didn't want any pressure for Fernando, but Fernando was all over his mirrors, especially on that last lap. And I guess uh, there was some some tension on the Aston Martin pit wall at the end of that uh, sprint race. Uh, but um, yeah, it's been a bit of an off weekend. It was a bit of a miserable qualifying for Mercedes on the other hand on uh, for the sprint in the race yeah they've dropped back after being on the podium with Lewis uh, in in Canada and um, I guess they they have some question marks about how they suddenly have you know dropped from that fight of the podiums that
1: they were in up, up until last race. Well in changeable conditions the Mercedes looks a handful 15th and 18th they qualified for the sprint on Saturday in the, in the wet. Track limits also. Track limits as well. Hamilton again track limits in the, in the Grand Prix this afternoon. He's not a happy bunny, is he? And for Toto Wolf to have to come on the radio mid-race <laughs> yeah. and say,
9: Lewis, the car is bad, we know. Please drive it.
1: I thought it was quite significant. We don't hear that that often.
5: No, but um, yeah, <laughs> Toto has a fun way of saying these things. Um, yeah, I also understood the way you understood it. It's just like, just do it. Come on, don't complain. <laughs> because he was um, talking so much on the team radio about uh, Che code, having track limits everywhere. So he was a bit like talking a lot about the mistakes of others. So <laughs> we just heard some radios of that, but probably the team heard uh, lots of these radios. And yeah, just a fun way of what is the
1: mood in Germany about Mercedes' success or lack of at the moment?
5: It's a German team, but it's not like that we have Mercedes-Ultra fans walking around the street or something. So it's it's a bit of a different uh, relationship. I think you have, for example, from Italy and Ferrari, for example, where basically the whole country is just Ferrari, Ferrari, Ferrari. And Mercedes, yeah, of course, it's a well-known brand, but... I think German Formula One fans are more connected to drivers than to teams, to be honest.
1: Well, will Mercedes get back where they want to be at Silverstone? They've got a big upgrade package coming. They very often bring it to Silverstone. Is it going to be the magic bullet that they need?
0: Hopefully. uh, I guess uh, there's more coming afterwards, I guess. uh, At least from what I spoke uh, with uh, James Allison back in Canada, he said that Silverstone, is parish <laughs> would see upgrades for, for Mercedes, so uh, yeah it's clearly those two tracks with very fast corners which should suit the car a bit more and uh, hopefully it does, I mean after what we had last year at Silverstone, it was such a great race, I mean still get goosebumps of that battle for precision between four different cars from four different teams. It's not going to be the case probably this year with, uh, with the Rebel, but still behind could be a very nice battle uh, in the Red Bull's mirrors.
1: Now look, that's Silverstone. But I still felt this was a really good Grand Prix. And I'm talking about the Austrian Grand Prix. I felt this was one of the best races we've had this year. I mean, OK, Miami was great because we saw Max Verstappen come from ninth on the grid. but But actually just up and down the field, I felt this was a genuine grand prix there was so much going on and it was you know there was there was there wasn't rain there wasn't mechanical issues it was just guys racing on track for position
0: yeah actually looking at the weekend as a whole i think it was a great weekend of racing uh the sprint i think at least in my opinion was probably the best sprint we've had Uh, because of the rain yeah because of the conditions maybe the track also but uh, the fact that even strategy played a role, which usually doesn't in the sprint, just the tire choice. But had it been on dry, maybe everybody would have run the medium compound and there wouldn't have been any any of the things that we saw with the rain, that they there was a genuine chance of making a one-stop award like Hulkenberg did. And I applaud what, what they did with, with Nico because they were in a points position and they pitted out of a points position to make sure that they got some points in the sprint and they did, which for a team like us is I mean those those points are very valuable.
1: What is Hulk eating at the moment, Simeon? I mean something good. <laughs> he is, isn't he? And and it's just so ace to see him come back and he, he hit the ground running at the start of the year. He's been you know right up there with Kevin Magnussen from the off. And now in qualifying, you have to say. He's a a pretty good bet to beat Kevin at the moment.
5: Yeah, um, in qualifying, this is something that has always been his strength. So he has always been a very good qualifier. And yeah, I think this weekend, just everything was coming together for him. I think the car is compared uh, to the competitors on a very good level also. And he's been making something really, really great out of it. And yeah, it's just a shame that uh, I think it was the PU, uh, as I said, um, that... Stopped him from finishing the race, even though at Haas no one was really hoping for points or like calculating uh, with points from that race. But yeah, it's a shame to not uh, have him finish that race because the rest of the weekend, uh, both qualifying and the sprint race, were just great.
1: Now, you know, you said that Germany likes its drivers. Yes. Does Germany <laughs> like Nico Hülkenberg? Yes,
5: yes. He's, he's a great um, character. And yeah, I love he it when he he's funny, th- he's down to earth. Yeah.
1: He uses this great English expression about. It's not really my cup of tea, he yeah. says. I love it <laughs> when he says that because he uses it in the right context. You, clearly, he's raced for English teams well, for a long time. We have something
5: time. in German which would be literally translated, uh, it's not my beer. I mean, I think with tea and beer, that's also quite, <laughs> quite funny. Yeah,
1: I suppose we could call this next bit any other business. Is there anything we haven't discussed about Austria that we need to?
0: I mean, it was the home race for um, Red Bull, but also for... Uh, Alpha Tauri. They're still in a very, you know, difficult position uh, last in the constructors. Nick De Vries didn't do himself I guess any any favours this weekend unfortunately. The, not that he had the car to do great things but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think yeah, obviously the the pressure is building up there. Not a great weekend either for Juki, and yeah with so many rumours uh, you would like uh, Nick to have had the chance to you know, get the kind of result that would maybe get him out of that hole. But unfortunately, uh, yeah, it's getting deeper into the hole, I think.
1: And it spirals, doesn't it? As the pressure builds and your boss, Helmut Marco is telling the world that he thinks you haven't done a good enough job. So difficult for him. It was good to see Peter Bayer in the paddock this weekend. Uh, Austrian, used to work for the FIA, is now, as of July the 1st, the CEO of Alpha Tauri. And uh, actually, back to Helmut Marco, he said that Alpha Tower is going to change its name next year what 's the word on the street?
0: <laughs>
1: Bring back Toro Rosso, I say, <laughs> or, uh, I think uh, Franz Tos said that it 'll probably be named after a sponsor.
0: Yeah, I mean they have the chance to sell it like uh, Red Bull did with Tak Eri with the engines a few years ago. Uh, any main sponsorship in Formula One right now is very valuable, and I think uh, it's, you know it 's part of the business and getting some money out of a uh, A willing sponsor to put a brand in in, in a Formula One car.
1: After some post-race, track limits penalties were applied following a protest by Aston Martin. The top 10 looked like this. Max Verstappen took win number 42 of his Formula One career and his fifth at the Red Bull ring. Charles Leclerc was second, his first podium since the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and Ferrari's 800th in its history. Sergio Perez was third, his first podium since the Miami Grand Prix. Then came Lando Norris, who took his best result of the year so far in fourth. Fernando Alonso was fifth. Carlos Sainz dropped from fourth to sixth following those post-race penalties. George Russell was seventh. Lewis Hamilton was eighth. Lance Stroll ninth. And Pierre Gasly rounded out the top ten in tenth. In the Drivers' Championship, Max Verstappen continues to dominate. He's now 81 points ahead of his Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez in second, with Fernando Alonso third, just 17 points adrift of Perez. Lewis Hamilton is fourth, 25 points behind Alonso. Then in fifth comes Carlos Sainz, with Leclerc and Russell now equal on 72 points in sixth and seventh. Lance Stroll is eighth, Esteban Ocon is ninth, and Lando Norris is tenth. In the Constructors' Championship, it's all about Red Bull at the top. They now have 377 points, with Mercedes second on 178. Then it gets close. Aston Martin a third, just three points behind Mercedes. Ferrari a fourth on 154. Then come... Alpine on 47, McLaren on 29, Haas on 11, Alfa Romeo are 8th on 9, Williams are 9th on 7, and Alfa Tauri are 10th with 2. Let's check in with our fantasy team now, F1 Nation Racing. Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso were our lead drivers for Austria, and after a few disappointing weeks that have seen us drop down the F1 Nation World Championship, We made a couple of changes elsewhere. We brought in Alex Albon at the expense of Yuki Tsunoda and we replaced Mercedes with Ferrari to go alongside Aston Martin as our constructors. I fancied Ferrari for a podium this weekend, so it was a good decision to bring them in as Mercedes struggled. But our trio of Albon, Esteban Ocon and Joe Guanyu didn't bring us much of a return in points. So hopefully our upgrades, in inverted commas, will reap more rewards in Silverstone next weekend. Remember that F1 Fantasy is totally free and you can join at any time. Our league is the F1 Nation World Championship. Search for that, enter your team, and play against us and other listeners. All right, team, it's been great to chat. Final question. We need to think of our driver of the day. Now, the official vote through Formula One was Lando Norris. But who's going to go first?
5: Just for the race or the whole weekend?
1: Uh, do you know what? There's no definition.
5: <laughs> so um, for the race, I would agree with the fans because I think Lando was doing a great job. Um, and for the weekend, I have to name my German driver because Nico just got everything out of that car, I think.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that's a very valid point because um, we usually see towards you know the top end of the grid and it's hard to value what drivers not in a winning car do and Nico has has done a great uh, yet another great weekend because he's been on a good run of Q3s and Kevin hasn't so that shows that he's done the job but I would like to to give uh, kudos to Checo this weekend was was very important for him in terms of uh you know turning that page and putting and end to this terrible run that he 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 had been in suddenly on Friday, it seemed like he was gonna go even worse, but uh, happily he was able to get the most out of having a sprint weekend where he could try again in qualifying. He did a good race, he showed that he still wants to win, even if it's against Max, he gave Max what ticks him and um, Hopefully, it's, it's, it's the end of the bad run and the start of, uh, you know, seeing again the, the Checo that we saw at the beginning of the year. Obviously, the car is switching towards what Max likes, I think. Not to the extent of last year, but you see that Max, Max is the most comfortable I've ever seen him, the most relaxed. Uh, uh, I think you
1: would be if you just won seven Grand Prix. Oh, yeah absolutely but there's no five on the bound
0: yeah and there's no pressure from his teammate uh, right now in the in terms of the championship so he's a very in a very happy place uh, and uh, hopefully Checo can can start building again towards uh,
1: the second half of the year I'm gonna go for our race winner because I just thought the relentlessness of that man is what impresses me so much sort of Adrian Newey alluded to it earlier on the pod but you know Wanting that fastest lap, risking something going wrong at the pit stop. As Adrian said, it made no difference to their Constructors' Championship because it was already with Checo, yet he just won't let up. He's a machine as fast and as relentless as anything I've seen in 25 years of Formula One, I have to say. And um, it's a pleasure to watch. It's like, I've said it so many times, but it's like watching Tiger Woods when he was doing everything in the 90s in golf. And I, I think we just should celebrate Max Verstappen. Well, that's it for F1 Nation. Thank you very much for listening. And thanks too, to Diego and Zilia for their thoughts. Before we say goodbye, we'd like to pay tribute to Dutch racing driver Delano van Hoff, the 18-year-old who tragically lost his life after a crash in the second Formula Regional European race at Spa on Saturday. The thoughts and prayers of everyone here at F1 Nation go out to Delano's family and friends. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios.